I don't care how many podcasts we need to do. If we change one person's life to become wealthy through property, I've achieved my goals. Welcome to Real Estate Investing Uncovered, and thank you for joining me. So for the last 29 years, my passion's been real estate, and my passion has been about helping people create a better life for themselves by investing in real estate. I know there's so much to navigate when you go out and purchase a property, and I've had the pleasure of helping so many of our customers navigate those issues and not make mistakes You know, when they're purchasing properties. You'll often need guidance on your next move and a strategy for yourself or your family to set up for your long-term success. But we can't do it without the right partnerships, mortgage broking partnerships, accounting partnerships, financial planning partnerships. One of the great partnerships that I've enjoyed over the last 10 years, Natalie, is you, an independent mortgage broker who is here to talk with us today. Thanks, Bruno. A little bit of history about myself. I'm an independent mortgage broker with just over 20 years of experience in the industry. I have expertise in the areas of residential, commercial, investment, self-managed super fund lending. I have a diploma in mortgage broking and financial planning, and I'm accredited with over 30 different lenders. So I can uh, typically always find a solution for lending requirements of my clients. So what we might start with, Natalie, is the cost of living which has reached record highs with businesses and families that are struggling. And the last 12 months, interest rates have more than doubled, you know, gone from 2% to 6% Mm. in some instances. Mm. Are there still opportunities in the market? Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that people's borrowing power has been decimated over the last 12 to 18 months. What you could borrow, say, in February last year is pretty much halved to date. While there are still opportunities in the market, I think people also now need to perhaps be adjusting what their expectations are, perhaps lowering their expectations, because whilst all the interest rates have gone up, I don't think borrowers' expectations have gone down. Okay, so so now that the lending and the borrowing capacity is halved, what can they do to make a difference so they can show and have a bit more capacity to purchase what they need to purchase? There are a lot of other things that potential borrowers can do to increase the borrowing power. If you're looking to purchase something for investment, uh, then the rental market is rosy for the landlord. So certainly that would help to increase borrowing power with increased rents. And you would be right across how much rents have increased over the last 12 months. Yes, because we do run a a rent roll. Mm-hmm. So we work with landlords and tenants and our landlords, once leases are expiring, are asking us to review those rents. Mm. In every instance, those rents are now 30 to 50% greater. Now, yep. some landlords choose not to raise those rents, but the majority mm. have been raising those rents. So certainly, yep, that's one of the points that we can use to uh, increase borrowing capacity. Yep. Also, a lot of employees haven't had a pay rise in a little while, or some of them perhaps even a couple of years. So even to have a look out there in the market and see what your position is worth and whether your boss is paying you what you're worth or you think you might be undervalued, have a talk to the boss, ask him to shake the tin. Wow. So what you're saying is because we've got an employee shortage Mm -hmm. in the country that some employees are not asking for pay rises. And if they do and they succeed, obviously that will help them. 
such a great tip. The next thing I would suggest is that we work with the client to perhaps have a look at where they may be able to reduce expenses and or commitments. So, uh, for example, with clients I've seen, there's a lot of money going out there to Uber Eats and Menu Log and the DoorDash, and that's okay if you're doing it occasionally. But over the period of a couple of months, that can add up to being hundreds, even thousands of dollars. I've seen some. So that's certainly one easy way to reduce expenses. Yes. Um, eat, eat more at home and home cooked meals. I've seen people with gambling issues where we've had to clean that up as well. And I've also seen, you know, an $800 car loan commitment, for example, that can reduce your borrowing power by $200,000. So how are you structuring that with the client? Are you going through their bank statements? Yep. Are you asking them to say, what are all these expenses and and then helping them yes. with a savings plan? Absolutely. And people may forget about that zip pay or that after pay. The buy now, pay later facilities are scrutinized by the lenders. Um, even the credit card that you may not use, the lender in being responsible has to determine that if you were to take that credit card up to its limit, that you would be able to afford to repay it and continue to repay a home loan commitment as well. So for example, um, if you have a $10,000 credit card limit, the lender is going to look at you needing to extend $400 a month to repay that credit card, even if it's not maxed out. Are you seeing clients that have got that credit card facility and not using it, mm. but the banks are saying, well, sorry, you've got that facility, we're going to create a lower borrowing capacity. Yes. So they're going to treat that facility as if it was maxed out, regardless right. of whether it is or not. So certainly there's another couple of things that we can do. And I do work with clients sometimes for months to help them to reduce the expenses, reduce the commitments, because every little bit there is going to help in increasing the capacity to borrow. And also, too, the other thing that I will say to clients is that uh, lenders do scrutinise their bank statements. That's how they know the profile of their client and what they're going to be like in a home loan situation. So if you're looking as a client at your own bank statement and you were a lender going to extend money to yourself, would you do it based on what you see on that piece of paper? Right. And if the answer's no, then it needs to be tidied up a little. And that's what I can work with clients to help them do over months, you know, years if we have to, to get them into a situation where they can then afford the dream. Well, that was my next question is what's the average time that a bank will look at through your bank statements? So the, most lenders will look anywhere from one to three months. Right. Uh, so it's important to you know, at least for a month to tidy up those expenses so we can show the best picture of you that's possible to the lender. And which will help you with your borrowing capacity, obviously. Definitely. And I had a question with living situation. So do you advise clients on their living situation, say if they're paying rent or can they go and live with family? Mm -hmm. How does living situation come about with your borrowing capacity? And have you had that question yeah. with your clients. Yes, yeah, certainly. So for somebody who's looking to own or occupy a property, that is buy something to live in, that's probably not as much of an argument because you're going to drop whatever those previous expenses were potentially when you get into the new home loan. But for investment purposes, most definitely any rent that you might be paying now that's going to continue, we need to disclose that to the lender and that then further reduces borrowing power. Whereas if you are 
living with family, mum and dad, whoever it might be, your expense each month is going to be reduced. So yeah, that can help with increased borrowing power too. How do you know which lender to approach? Once a client's come to sit with you and you've gathered all the information and you've helped them with their bank statements, you've helped them with their particular situation, Mm -hmm. where do you take it? It's important to know there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And that's why I have 30 lenders on the panel, of which I'm accredited with. Yes, And some of them have their own little niches that if you were not working this industry every minute of every day, you wouldn't know. When gathering information from clients, uh, it's important for me firstly to work out whether a client is rate sensitive or whether they're looking for the most money they can borrow. So those two things are important and they can help guide me to what would be the most appropriate lender. Other things like whether they're a self-employed borrower or whether they're a PAYG, that's pay-as-you-go employed. The length of time they've been with their employer can also come into which lender is most suitable. And other little nuances, like perhaps somebody might be on maternity leave and they may be returning to work in six months' time. There are lenders now where we can use that potential income that's going to be coming in in six months' time, as long as in the meantime they can show that they've got you know, the ability of surplus funds in an account to service that loan while they're on maternity leave or paternity leave. The other things that will influence which lender would be most suitable would be the percentage of deposit that they have. And and of course, then whether they're looking at investment or owner-occupied. And we also try to work through what their sensitivity is to rate rises. That's an important discussion that I've been having with clients over the last 12 to 18 months is we do a what if. So what if the rate was 2% higher than it is today? This is what the repayment looks like. Would you still be able to afford that? So that will help me to determine whether we may look at potentially a fixed rate as opposed to a variable rate loan. Right. Or whether we do a combination of both. So there's a lot there that we look at when factoring in which lender would be most appropriate. What's important to look for in a lender And why is it important to approach the correct lender for that client? All lenders are not the same. And it's important, I think, to approach a broker who has a number of lenders on their panel who can help you to navigate through that world. The most important thing from my perspective is not to potentially tarnish a customer's credit history file. So every time a lender goes and looks or does an inquiry on the client's file, there's an imprint there. So there is a note to say that St. George Bank has looked at the credit history file or, or that the client has applied for a loan with them of X dollars. And when we start seeing too many of those things, that can become a problem for a client in gaining credit approval for two reasons. The first one is that the lender may think that they've been declined by all these other lenders in front of them, and that may make them a bit nervous. The other thing is what we call serial pre-approvers. So they waste everybody's time. So this it may look like they're just going around getting pre-approvals from all these different lenders, but they're not actually going to ever do anything. Right. So uh, also too, that impacts on what's called the customer's credit score. A credit score is a number between usually 400 and 1,000. The closer you are to 1,000, the much better candidate you are in terms of the lender's eyes. So the lower down the scale, then the more nervous a lender gets about extending credit to you to the point where they may not if your credit score falls below something like five or 600. Okay. So let's say we're with 
ex-bank. Mm-hmm. Then in two years' time, I come to you and say, we want to either renegotiate with that bank or go somewhere else. Do you ever see change of policy with that bank? Daily. <laughs> Daily. Okay. Daily. How do you keep up with that? It's important to set aside at least 10 to 15 minutes of the day so I can wade through the emails that have come through from the lenders to ensure that I'm up to speed on what policies have changed that day. What could be a good fit for me today as Mm -hmm. a client could be the wrong fit tomorrow. A good example of that is construction lending. So a number of lenders actually pulled out of the construction market early last year. And obviously that sort of had its own issues with COVID and, and costs of bills blowing out, et cetera. So some lenders decided that they would just sit this one out for a period of time. Some of them may be coming back into the market now and others are still just dipping their toe in the water. So yeah, that's a perfect example of something that we may have had pre-approved and then when we're ready to go back there for the full approval, sorry, that lender doesn't play in the park anymore. Right. So that's something that you keep on top of. Absolutely. So your client doesn't need to. Absolutely. Excellent. What's the desired outcome for a client in working with a broker and not directly with the bank? Why should I not go to a bank? Why should I come to you as a broker? Good question. I think the main reason for engaging a broker as opposed to the bank is just the magnitude of products that we can put in front of the customer and the options and the choices. So if you walk into X bank uh, and you sit down with the home loan manager, they can only offer you the suite of products that they can sell within that bank. So there may only be a fixed rate, a variable rate, a basic loan, um, and that's about it. And you need to fit into that box. So With a broker, if you don't fit into the box of this particular lender, well, we've probably got another couple of options that you can consider. For the most part, the service is free to approach a mortgage broker. So the customer is getting a whole wealth of information and knowledge from the broker. And I think the education process is the other thing that we do as well. So we don't only say, well, here's your loan, Mr. Customer, bye-bye. We can educate the customer through how the whole process works Mm -hmm. from start to finish, Mm -hmm. when they should engage a conveyancer, when they should be handing over a deposit. So brokers don't only talk to clients about home loans. Bruno, I have a question for you. What are you seeing with clients at the moment and where do they need the most help from you? One solution doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. There are some buyers that want just rental return. There are some buyers that want rental return and capital growth. There are some buyers that just want capital growth. Then we've got the other buyer that doesn't know Mm. whether they should have capital growth or whether they should have rental return or whether they should have both. Mm -hmm. But we look at everyone's circumstances uh, individually. Some buyers are younger than other buyers. Mm -hmm. So there are more important things, let's say, in an older person like like a, like me, mm-hmm. I won't say you, I'll yes, just say please me. Please don't use me in that example. <laughs> in my 50s, okay, so when I'm looking for a property that I want to buy as an investment, I don't want as much capital growth as maybe the person that's, you know, buying it when they're 25 right. because I want the cash flow. Right. So when I retire, I'll have cash flow coming through as in my retirement plan. 
Now, the reason why we brought you on today is because even though capacities are shrinking, the real estate market is really not shrinking. Mm -hmm. Yes, in some areas it has shrunk a little bit, but there are many areas that it's not shrinking. So we need to educate our clients, your clients, on how we can increase that borrowing capacity in today's climate. Sure, yeah. Whether there's another interest rate rise or whether there's another two interest rate rises or whether the interest rates come down, the real estate market will keep moving and it won't it won't wait for you. Mm. So it's better to be in the market than out of the market. What would you say to a client if they came and sat in your office and said, we've got $300,000 sitting in the bank and we've had that sitting in the bank for the last two years, mm-hmm. we're not sure what to do with that. What would you say to them? So I think there's a couple of things to consider there uh, and that is if you are considering getting into the market, what you need to think about is what that $300,000 would be worth uh, over the course of the next 12 months. And historically, the property market always moves in an upward direction. It may do a little correction, but it always ends up moving in an upward direction. Historically, if you look back at 100 years, the real estate market doubles Mm. every 10 years. Yeah. So that $300,000 today, if you're looking to purchase a property, is not going to be worth the same $300,000 in 12 months' time because the property market will have moved and it will have moved upwards. Yes. So you won't be able to buy the same level of property that you would if you jumped in today. The other consideration also too is in how much you can save over the course of that next 12 months or 24 months or whatever you want to call it. Can you keep up with the change in the market with your savings position? And the answer is more than likely no, Mm. because once again, that money is not going to buy you the same property value as it would have if you'd done it today. When I sit down with a client, they say to me, we've got $400,000 or $300,000 in the bank. And I say, put it into property. Mm. And if they get scared and they say, oh, but I'm scared. And I said, well, it's only parking your money in an asset. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, if you want to sell it, you can. Yeah. But if you leave it, the money in the bank, as inflation goes up, your money is actually being devalued. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with yep, that? Completely. Yeah. So that means if you leave your money in the bank and say it's $300,000 today and in 12 months, yes, it's 300,000, but it's not worth 300,000 mm-hmm. might be worth 200,000 in a, in a property. Sure. If that makes sense. Yes. We see property still as a safe investment. Mm. Why do we see it as a very safe investment and why should we buy property? Well, I've made a little bit of a list on what I believe and what is out there in black and white. Number 1, we've got a shortage of property right in yep. the country. Mm-hmm. This is why we're seeing the rental market increase in value anywhere in between 30 and 50% because we do have a shortage of property. And to compile the shortage of property, the government's promised our nation 975,000 new immigrants in the next three years, which means they need housing. With that shortage of property and with 975,000 new people coming into the country, Property is still a great investment yeah. as because interest rates will keep rising. Mm. And if we talk nationally, and it's not just the Sydney market or the Brisbane or the Melbourne market, we're talking a national market. We are looking at, according to CoreLogic, vacancy rates across the board are under 1.5%. Yes, that's right. So which means 
people are screaming to live in a property. And so they're not building properties quick enough Mm -hmm. for the people that need property. That's another reason why the property market is a great investment. And then there's another reason why that I really believe that this property market will keep moving. We've got the Olympics coming in nine years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we look back at history and look back in the year 2000 Mm. and leading into the year 2000, I read a statistic from 1995 to the year 2000, property values in Sydney Mm. went up 60%. Mm. 60%. Pretty impressive. Absolutely. So from my mind, history repeats itself. Yes. We've got the Olympics coming in Queensland in nine years' time. We've got property that already has low vacancy Mm -hmm. and we've got all these people coming into the country. The Olympic Committee's been set up. Yeah. They're talking about 2,000 jobs that need to be filled in the next couple of years mm. for the Olympic Committee. The government's earmarked $4 billion in infrastructure spend in Queensland, right. which probably, you know, I, I haven't got a crystal ball, but I believe that will blow out to about $6 billion. Mm. That'll create new jobs. Yes, of course. So the property market will keep moving. What the real issue is here is, is how do we get investors and people who want to buy property in the position to purchase Mm. and borrow? And everything that you've spoken about today just gives us a little bit more insight on how a broker can work with families or individuals Mm -hmm. to help and create better borrowing capacity so they can Jump on the train, That's as you exactly say. Right. Jump exactly on right. the train and go along for the ride mm-hmm. for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yes. And property is for the medium to long term. We all know that. Absolutely. And if anyone would like to reach out and talk to us, they can go on bcproperty.com.au or they can give me a call on 0418 965 756 and we can have a discussion. Absolutely. No problem. 